This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, By Here, and the author is Diane Elizabeth Nelson, and she joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Diane. Hello. Good morning. Well, this is children's fiction. It also is about nature and animals and and the railroad, and it has a, a, a kind of a environmental kind of a theme, doesn't it? Oh, yes. That's the message. Well, kind of give us an overview uh, without all the details, but and then why did you write the book? Well, actually, um, I came to write the book after um, witnessing the event myself. We lived in a small rural town north of Toronto in um, the middle of Ontario and close to one of these railway tracks that actually shut down. And um, we watched the transition. We used to be able to walk on the railway track while the train was running, but, of course, we had to be really careful. You know, there were times of the day it wasn't safe to go there, and, you know, we couldn't take the kids or the dog or anything like that. And um, then after the rail shut down, after the train stopped running, things um, things got really nice. You know, we, we could we could walk on the on the tracks forever. We could go to the next town and, you know, keep on going and, you know, see little parts of the, of the fields and um, the terrain that we'd never had access to before. And um, it was kind of interesting to watch, watch things um, return. Um, Plants, animals started reclaiming the space and it got to be a real pleasant little walking place. And I thought, well, this is this this would make a good story. <laughs> so I wrote about it. Well, it has very unique pictures. It has aerial uh, drawings or colorful drawings, but they're done in a very I don't know how to describe it. it it's it's in a very uh, of calm. Uh, it kind of gives you a calm feeling. Oh, that's good. That's that's what I wanted to impart. The other thing that I wanted to make sure that I did was to include all the seasons. It was really important to show the passage of time, because that's part of what it's all about. It's about a transition, moving from the past to the present. Um, you, you, it was, I was trying to see, well, I was trying to let the viewer and the reader see that um, this, you know, the death of a railway isn't always a tragic thing. You know, it's, it's, it's a good thing for nature and for people so that we can get out and enjoy those spaces that used to be cut off for us. You know, um, it's it just the passage of time is, is offers us more opportunities. I guess that's what I wanted to get across. So I had to have the time in there, which is why I needed to put all the seasons so I was careful to put all the, you know, there was winter and summer and spring and fall and all the different times of day. And um, that's why I, 
I tried really hard to give all the different points of view. I wanted to make the the railway, for instance, uh, as it would be seen from the point of view of the animals themselves. So, hence, you, you get this distant view of the railway in the far distance. With the, there's always the little figure walking along the railway, but it's seen from nature's point of view instead of human point of view. You know, like the bird's point of view, the worm's point of view, every, everything that comes back into the space and takes over. Why did you choose to write your story in a poetic style? Well, that is a, it was important to me to get the rhythm of the railway. You know, um, it, it, I sort of wanted to echo uh, how the machine used to take over. You know, it was um, very rhythmic and, you know, you had to, you had to, jump down from the rails when it was coming. And um, I wanted to get that rhythm into the story. Plus, I, I love poetry myself, and I love rhyming. It's, it's kind of uh, um, something I've always loved to do. So I wanted to get that across. And I think um, it, was, it was written for kids to enjoy, too. And I, I'm a teacher, and I know the power of rhyme. Yeah, over kids. I mean, kids love that rhythmic type sing-songy stuff. And it's also fun for parents to share with kids. It's the kind of a thing that is almost like a song. You know, you can hear it over and over again and, and um, enjoy it that way, just for how it sounds. What age group would you say that it would appeal to? Well, um, I would say you're looking at primary kids. I would say um, kindergarten to grade three, maybe. Um, <clears throat> but then again, it would, you would also want to read it or share it with your class if you were a teacher, for instance. Um, you were, if you were in, introducing a, a unit on transportation or change or ecology, you'd you could use this as a little introduction, and, and that way it has more flexibility. It could go up higher, I think, in grade levels and could be discussed just with the things, you know, like how, how does the book show time. And I use it myself, actually. I've, I've been using it with a group of uh, very talented teenagers who are interested in writing children's books themselves. So it's, it's a good teaching tool that way because it's... It, um, you know, you can go back through it and, and say, well, how did the artist impart the message? What, what kind of tools are used? Um, that kind of thing. Um, or, you know, anybody who's interested in trains, it, it probably appeals to them too. And I think, well, little kids, I think, are really interested in trains and train tracks, transportation. So all of those things. So your theme looks back, it's nostalgic, but at the same time you're trying to give a feeling of hope. Yes, yeah. I wanted it to be, um, I wanted it to convey, uh, well, you know, that uh, nature reclaiming this space, um, there's many aspects of this change that are good. Diane, from what point of view have you written this story? 
Well, the words themselves are spoken by the young character, but the character, his or herself, doesn't get developed as a person per se. I wanted it to be kind of like an everyman book. This, this little character could be a girl or a boy, um, or it could be um, me or you as a young version of yourself. So um, that way I wanted it to be wide open. I wanted this character to speak for everybody. Um, so it's kind of a, like I said, it's just more like a little um, fable, I guess, that way. Do you intend to write more with this kind of a theme? Well, um, I don't know. I don't know. It, um, I, haven't, I haven't been struck by things. Um, I, I mean, I'm struck by things all the time. We've moved around quite a bit, and right now I live up in the Northwest Territories in Canada. And, oh, yes, change. Change is um, a great theme anywhere, anytime. But um, I don't know. I don't know. It'll have, to, it'll have to hit me the way this one did. It, was quite, um, it just uh, inspired me out of the blue. It so was one of those things. You're trying to tell children that they don't have to fear change. Exactly. Exactly. And I guess adults as well. Exactly. Certainly. Well, Diane, tell us how to get your book. Well, I am here on Author House. Uh, if you go into authorhouse.com, uh, you can get to my book by either putting in my name, my, my name, or the name of the book. And it is sold online, I believe, for American $8. So it's a, quite a reasonable price. It's a nice little book. It's about 8.5 by 11. Lots of shiny uh, colors and pictures, and I think it'll be a fun, fun addition to anybody's personal or school library. Well, we're always looking for another book as a parent or a grandparent to share with our kids or grandkids, so congratulations. Thank you very much. That was Diane Elizabeth Nelson. She is the author of her children's book, By Here. Yes. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. It's the chance for you to hear firsthand from authors on why they write their books in their own words. It's called iUniverse Radio, hosted by Steve Jorgensen every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio, every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge. Sending a heartfelt message is one of the best ways to touch someone, to touch the heart. But it's easy to forget birthdays, anniversaries, and other special occasions. Imagine how many lives you would touch if it was easy to send those heartfelt messages. Send Out Cards provides a way for you to send a personalized greeting card to a friend, loved one, or business associate in less than 60 seconds from the convenience of your computer. You can even add a gift or gift card. Send Out Cards is about helping people reach out to those around them. It's amazing what a simple message can do. 
Send Out Cards helps you act on your promptings to reach out and change lives. Show host Michelle Bateman has learned through personal experience what it means to be an eagle by always working to be your best self. Please join our conversation on Send Out Cards Radio with Michelle Bateman to learn what it means to be an eagle on toginet.com. Radio with a cutting edge. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, this book of poetry, is called Poems of Love and Life, and the poet is Charles Chambers, and Charles joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Charles. Hi, how are you? Well, we are certainly... uh, Welcome you to the show. I think you uh, are fittingly the most celebrated 90-year-old that I know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so good to have you with you us. You don't know too many 90-year-olds. <laughs> no, well, I guess I don't. But I have a good friend who's 89. He's almost 90. <laughs> yeah. But it's wonderful that at your age you've published this book of poetry. Now tell us why you did it. Well, I think the reason why I did it was that... Uh, I, I had a wonderful marriage and a wonderful uh, wife who I love very much. And she died about three years ago. Well, she had Alzheimer's, and I looked after her for about six years. And it was a pleasure to look after her. I loved her, and I miss her very much. But after she died, I, I wanted to capture all of the, the thoughts and memories that I had mostly of my 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 wife and my life, and so I I decided to put them down in 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 words, in uh, in a song without a tune, as I call it, you know. So uh, I I have most of the memories of my wife and my life down in my poetry, and when I when I wrote the poetry, I t- I tried to put a little message into the into the end of the poem too try to uh, show people that, uh, you know, they could live just as happy a life as really as I did. Well, you mentioned that a lot of classical poetry has hidden meanings that are sometimes hard to understand, but you say you write yours very simply. They're simple expressions of love and life. Exactly. Why do you think you do it that way? Well, I think we write poetry in... (laughs) In, in really in, in the way we think and the way we act. I've always, I've always felt that uh, people only need really four basic things in life to be happy, and that's uh, a roof over their head, really a home of their own, be it ever so humble, food on the table, loving that home, and to live by the golden rule, to do unto others as you would they do unto you. And that is really, in a way, uh, how I express my poetry. And it's the way that, to be honest with you, that my wife and I have always lived. Now, before we read some of your poetry and comment on uh, why you wrote these expressions of love and life, uh, I think it would be interesting to our listeners of how you met your wife, who you dearly called Dooley. <laughs> Dooley. <laughs> My tell belief. us uh, tell us that magic moment back a uh, long time ago, I guess. Well, it was a long time ago. In 1945, 
A military plane crashed just outside Gorey County, Wexford, in Ireland. And it, it was, uh, Gorey at that time was a very, very small country town. And uh, I was in the Royal Air Force at the time, and I had to uh, go down to, uh, from the north of Ireland to the south of Ireland. And incidentally, the south of Ireland was a neutral country at that time. I had to go down to the south and uh, retrieve this plane. I had to bring it back to the north. And uh, I was only down in Gorey uh, for probably not more than about five days. And in that time, I was introduced to a young lady, Louie Redmond, uh, who actually comes from a very prominent uh, family in the town. And um, I met her, fell in love with her, asked her to marry me before I left. And we married, uh, I met her on uh, February the 17th in 1945. And we were married in Ireland, in Wexford, on June the 5th. Of 1945. So within five days, you met her, you courted her, and asked her to marry you. Now, that is yes. a job well done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's an old saying, they say that marry in haste and repent at leisure. <laughs> but I'm afraid it, isn't. it wasn't true in my case. Well, that's wonderful. All right. Well, and tell us why you called her Dooley, because that's the, the one of the poems. Well, in fact, you have two poems called Dooley. Now, why yes. did you call her Dooley? Well, when I met my wife, she had a little nephew who at the time was only about four years old. He's going on for 70 now, still alive. Uh, his name is Niall Kelly. And uh, he couldn't say, they used to call her... Uh, Auntie Louie. Well, he couldn't say Auntie Louie. He used to call her Auntie Dooley. And uh, I I picked up the name, and she's been my Dooley ever since. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's wonderful. Yeah. Fond, great memories of your wife, Dooley. Wonderful memories that I have. Well, you but, but you also have some interesting uh, poems about nature as well, don't you? Yes. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not a particularly religious person. I was a Catholic at one time, but I'm not a, I don't consider myself a Catholic anymore. But I'm not a particularly religious person, but I feel that God has given us so many wonderful things in this, in this life to, to, for our welfare and our happiness, and, and I think nature is one of them. And uh, I think that, uh, unfortunately, we humans don't always use those, those things that God has given us wisely, but, hey. But I think that nature is one of the things that he has given us, the beauties of nature, the beauties of fall. Fall, I think, is, is such a beautiful time of the year, my favorite time. In fact, I wrote a poem about it. Um, I, I I just think that uh, all of nature. I I I have two dogs and a cat, and uh, they're they're wonderful little creatures, you know. And uh, and so you wrote a poem called "Your Dog." <laughs> that's right. I wrote about my dog. <laughs> I haven't written about my cat yet because I've just I've just had her. She was a stray that we that I took in and. Uh, and now she's, she won't leave my side. <laughs> well, let's read. Uh, why don't you read your first poem 
called Dooley. That poem I wrote in, in, in uh, 19, I think it was 1975, and it's a poem I remember by heart. Uh, the poem is, uh, How do you tell a moonbeam's ray express the dawn, the scent of hay? How do you t- show the look of joy that lights the eye that shows the way? How do I tell you, my sweet wife, how much you mean, how much I care? Alas, there are no words as yet to tell you duly since we met. But ever since that wondrous day, you've meant so much in every way. How do I tell you, my sweet wife? You are my world, my all, my life. And incidentally, I have the last four lines of that poem on her tombstone. Well, that's very appropriate. I'm sure she is very touched by... Your words when she was with you, as well as now that she is not with you, you know, she's still very touched by all that you uh, wrote about her. One of the problems with poetry, in a way, is I don't think the the poet really. I don't think the poet really knows how to express it in words. In, in speech, I'm trying to reach over here for a, for a book of my poems. Because I, want to, I want to read the last poem to you, which is actually one of my favorites. You want me to read the last yes, poem? Yes, please. And it's titled Dooley. The one poem that I read there was the first poem in the book. Right. And this is the last poem in the book. It, it's called Dooley. To feel the ache that fears my very soul. To know the pain that only loneliness can bring. To have a love that's been, that has been snatched away. A bond that bounds us with but just a ring. The human mind must search for that true love. And when it finds it, doubt is swept away. For in this life, true love is hard to find. And if returned, we count our blessings day by day. Yet deeper as our love does grow each day, the deeper is the wound the life must pierce. The longer will it take to heal, if heals ever will. For once we've loved, the haunt will come back just as fierce. Time is said to heal all human ill, but time becomes the knife that plunges deep. For every single moment of each day, we're given time, but not to heal, but time to weep. Tis to our bed in hopes that we find, find rest, but miss her presence even more at night. Then, as, then in our dreams she's with us once again, and then the piercing pain when we awake is taken flight. I watched her die not many years ago. I held her hand and cried to see her take her last sweet breath, and though the pain of loving her will never die, that love and pain I'll take to my sweet death. Well, that is beautiful. Thanks. What a tribute to both of you. Very, very, very beautiful. I, I don't read poetry out loud very well. <laughs> well, I, well, your book is filled with uh, different uh, thoughts. Uh, I'm reading a few of the titles. Uh, a Little Bird, A Tree, Your Dog, Debbie. Must have been a friend, Debbie, or someone you knew, Debbie. Yes, Debbie is, Debbie is a lady that, that I have, that has become 
her and her husband have become great friends of mine. In she fact, is a, uh, she comes from the Day Kimball uh, uh, homemakers, and she comes to me two or three times a week and does my housework, looks after my needs. She's a wonderful lady. And then you have other titles like Friends, uh, Friends The yes. Game of Life, Old Age, Another Friend, Ireland, Poets, Fall, <laughs> Love Can Be Cruel, and you have one about God. I would be interested in hearing your po- poem about God. Do you have it right there? It's on, um, it's on page 19. Yeah, hold on a minute. Go ahead and read that one and comment about your words. A little bird once said to me, it whispered in my ear that God was looking down on us so we should have no fear, that never should we have a doubt that he would always care, for like his presence in heaven above, his love is always there. My, my feelings about God are somewhat radical in a sense. I, I don't believe that there is such a place as hell. You know, I always, I always uh, use the little analogy of, of, of God as, as your father, and think of yourself as a father, and your children have all grown up, and they've gone their ways, and you know, some do very well, and some get into evil ways, and others just live a mundane life. And when they all come home to to, to their father, their father doesn't uh, chide them or, or judge them or anything else like that. He just welcomes them with love, you know. And I, I think myself that that's the way God is. I think that the things that we do on this earth are meaningless to God. I think they're just like weeds. He just plucks them up and throws them away and just welcomes them, welcomes us back into into heaven or whatever the afterlife is. And I don't, uh, you know, can you imagine that God, who is supposed to be all-powerful, would put up with a place like hell? <laughs> Doesn't make sense. <laughs> so I, I, I'm, I have my own attitudes about God. I think he's a loving God, and I think that, uh, I think he loves us, and I think he... He's glad to see us coming back to him. Well, that's a very reassuring understanding of who God is. I think you're, in many ways, you're right on target, Charles. <laughs> I like well, what you, you just know, said. I, I was, I, I married a Catholic girl. I became a Catholic. And as a matter of fact, one of my best friends at the moment is, is a, a priest, a retired priest, Father LaCour, a wonderful man. I have every respect for. But, uh, you know, um, one of the things I've found in life that unfortunately we're not not always able to separate the opinion from the man, if you understand what I mean. Right. And uh, just because a person has a different opinion to me, I, I, I respect that man's opinion, and I can still make a very good friend of him. Because I like to separate the opinion from the man. 
Well, we appreciate you being on Author Talk and sharing your poetry. I was just going to mention a few other titles of your poems. You have The Game of Chance, Mind Control, Thanksgiving, Religion, We're All Citizens of This World, My Friend, The Basic Needs of Life, and, of course, then there's a poem about love. Yeah. And the rosebud of love. The so, rosebud of love. Thank you, Charles. Thank you. How do we get your book? How do you get it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you can get it through Author House is the, is the best uh, best bet. Authorhouse dot com. Yes. Authorhouse dot com. Well, very good. Well, we again thank you for joining us and sharing your poetry and your philosophy and uh, many more years to come. I hope and pray for you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> That was Charles Chambers. He is a poet, and his book of poems is called Poems of Love and Life. Charles Chambers also wants everyone to know that he's going to give a major portion of the royalties that he receives from the sale of this book to charity to a daycare center in Ireland. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Maybe if I write a book, it will be the thing that keeps me alive. Those are the troubled words of a new 16-year-old author with her first thought-provoking book, What Gives? Published by Togi Entertainment. The author kept a diary during her dark teenage times, which turned into a 360-page suicide note with a happy ending. Texas Monthly describes teen author Chelsea Marie and her new book, What Gives, in this provocative way. We've plunged from page to page, not because of the young diarist's despondency. Depression is not especially attractive or compelling, but because we are fascinated to see that while she is fending off demons on one hand, she is writing verse with the other. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. Readers of What Gives are giving rave reviews. All social scientists, teachers, and students should use this book as a learning tool. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Price. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning, we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. He's a diehard American. He's right, and he has the last name to prove it. He's Jason Wright, the host of The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet Radio. Jason is a father and self-made entrepreneur who turned a struggling East Texas real estate firm into a top-notch million-dollar company. Jason Wright loves America and is very concerned about where we are headed as a nation. He's dedicated to traditional American values. Jason Wright. Join us every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern for The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk. Brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, The Obama Church Drama, My Story. And the author is Joe Castor, and Joe joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Joe. Hi, how you doing? 
Give us an overview of the Obama church drama, my story. This is your story and the story of your wife and son, right? That's correct, yes. Well, tell us a little bit, just in general, uh, about what this story is all about. Sure. On November the 9th of 2008, my wife, Elizabeth, and our son, Ben, were in church, and they were kicked out of church um, by the pastor. Uh, it's a Catholic church that we had been going to for six years, and uh, the pastor actually kicked her out of church for supporting uh, President, then President-elect Obama. And you um, received quite a lot of news coverage about that? Absolutely, yes. That, that day... Um, I vowed to let the world know about it. A week later, it was aired on CNN, um, and it was in all the headlines and all the newspapers in the Northern California area. And uh, two weeks later, I agreed to write a book. And why write the book? Well, uh, obviously, because I felt so strong about what had happened, um, and it was my wife that it happened to. Um, I just felt like that I wanted to get the word out there, um, you know, that it was such a wrong thing that was done to my wife and that, uh, you know, in in the Catholic Church today, um, things usually are, you know, we would think that the Catholic Church is a place where you can feel the most comfortable, and that day apparently it wasn't for my wife, so... That's why I feel so strong about um, why I decided to write this book. Now, you write this book starting out in Kenya, right? Back in the 70s? Yes, it takes place. Um, yes, it takes place back in the 1970s and comes all the way up to, uh, it ends in the 2008, at the end of 2008, yes. Now, are both of you from Kenya? Uh, no, actually, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, and my wife is from uh, Kenya. And how did you meet her? Oh, uh, well, that's part of the book. That that takes place in the book. But uh, we met when we were in um, living in. Um, I was living in San Francisco, and she was living in uh, Oakland, California, and um, that's when we met. Uh, and I think it was, yeah, it was 2000. So, so why go back to her roots? Um, the reason we did, I, I decided to do that was because, um, you know, she's um, from the same, uh, a similar area as our president, uh, Obama. And uh, I thought that was uh, one reason why I should... Uh, you know, go all the way back to and and just make. I made it into a uh, biography. A biography of Elizabeth Castor. Yes, your wife. That's correct. Okay. So, what brought her to America? Uh, she immigrated here in 2000. She immigrated here. Uh, the The economy was not really good there at the time because of uh, the uh, terrorist attacks. In, at the Kenyan embassy in 1998, and that caused the economy to there to uh, that made a big had a big impact on the economy there, and things weren't going too well for her, and she wanted to uh, 
better her life for our son and herself. So she decided to immigrate to here to America. So you say that, now this is written in, in the, which person? Is, this is written from her point of view? I wrote it from her point of view, but, you know, I, yes, that's, that's correct, in her point of view. And when did she first learn about Barack Obama? When, when did she first get interested in him as a candidate for president or start to, uh, I guess, dream about having the first black president? She really uh, got interested in Barack Obama, um, I think it was at the beginning of when he first started campaigning, or even before that, you know, it was, it was uh, when he was a senator in Chicago, or yeah, when he was a senator, that's when she uh, first heard about him and began um, taking interest in, in uh, him. She had known about him, and she was very uh, enthused about the fact that he was such a good politician and that uh, he um, was gonna, one day would um, run for president. she get any of this information from her family in Kenya or anything like that about him, or was there just the connection here in America? Um, Basically, the information about President Obama we uh, got from was, um, you know, her, her, just what she knew, you know, and um, just what she found out about exactly. him through the media here and through through different newscasts about him as he was coming up in in the uh, political ranks. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So you went to this Catholic church for six years. Yes, that's correct. Six years. We attended there. When did you start going there? Uh, we started going there in, I believe it was um, 2003. Yeah, it was, it was right after we got, we got married and moved to uh, Fairfield, California, which is a suburb of, well, it's, it's not far from Sacramento. We started going there in 19, or 2003, and uh, we had been there going there six years exactly when the incident uh, took place, which was almost, the incident was like almost a year ago today. And you knew the pastor well? You knew the Catholic priest well? Uh, yes, we did. Was it, a, was it taboo to talk about politics at, at church meetings? Or? Um, well, at that church, um, they, there were uh, a lot of people that were Republican and some that were Democrat. And the priest would, at times, um, I, there was a time when he handed out some some flyers for, uh, I believe it was for a proposition, Proposition 8, that's correct, yeah. The one in California, the Proposition 8, about uh, what, uh, the true definition of marriage? Yes. Or the people who were promoting it for between a man and a woman only, right? Um, I'm, I am pretty sure that's what it was for, yes. Right. Yeah. So did you always feel comfortable there? Uh, did we feel comfortable there? He, yes, we did. We really liked that place, church, yes. And was there... Uh, Very comfortable. Uh, was it uh, multicultural, or were you in a minority, or... 
I would say it was not multicultural. There, there were few, uh, very few um, African Americans, and um, there were. It was. It was in general. It was just Caucasian and um, and um, Asian Americans at that church, attending that church, but, I mean, we were aware of that, but we had no problem with that at all. You always felt very welcomed and not singled out because of race or anything. Now, we won't go into the details of what happened, so if people want to find out, they need to read the book, but I'm sure it was devastating to your wife. Describe what she went through and her emotional trauma that she experienced. Yes, uh, it was very devastating, um, that day, she uh, attended church with our son, and I was at home that day sick. And um, she basically, um, the way it was uh, presented to her in church was that if she didn't, because Obama was written all over her car windows, if she didn't remove the car from the premises, because of that reason, that her car would be towed and that she had to leave. And in less than 10 minutes from uh, the time the pastor uh, made the uh, announcement and he interrupted the the church service. And singled her out? Uh, Correct. And then he followed her and my son to the car and uh, chastising them as they were getting in the car and she attempted to repark the car and then they... and then he made sure that she left the premises. Yes. He was chastising her. What what was he saying to her? Um just uh you're going to have to go. You can't that car cannot be parked here. Um basically that's what he was saying. Did he make any reference to his feelings about um Barack Obama? Oh, uh, absolutely. Yes, he did. When she arrived home, what happened? She was very shaken. Um you know, I was upstairs sick in bed, sleep, and she woke me up, uh, and I came running down. You know, she hollered upstairs, and I came running down the stairs, and she explained to me what happened. Um, and I I just couldn't believe it. I mean, I was in total shock, too, as, as she was. She was very shaken. So how do you heal from something like that? Um, it, it, uh... The first, wow, for her, the first couple of weeks, um, it was hard. It was difficult. Um, you know, we had a lot of friends that that supported us. We were pressured uh, to do a march. Uh, you know, there was a lot of pressure around us. There was a lot of media attention. And so it was very difficult for her to, uh, you know, um, try to... Uh, let it go or, you know, just, but, you know, we kept in contact with uh, uh, one of the members of the church that acted as a, uh, um, she she kind of uh, kept us, you know, up to date on things that were going on and what, you know, you know, similar things about what happened and everything. And um, she organized a meeting that we had here at the house. And uh, so she was very, uh, you know, it was very hard the 
first couple of weeks. And the national media was there a lot? Uh, yes. That day, um, at first it started out with just the local newspapers, and then it went into the um, California, you know, television news. And then, like the following day, it uh, then it became CNN, and and then, so it was very uh, newsworthy. Pretty much everybody had seen it on CNN that watches it. So, so how did you and your wife deal with all that? Uh, how did we deal with it? Um, uh, it wasn't easy because uh, you know we had never dreamed anything like that would happen to us so um, you know it, it was it was really hard it was really hard did you ever have a meeting with the catholic priest uh we attempted we we set up a meeting and he wanted to come there was a point when he had agreed, i'm not saying he wanted to but he he agreed, agreed to come to our house even after he had written a uh uh an apology letter to us. Um, he he had agreed to come uh, shortly after, before Christmas, that uh, like the next month, and he never. Um, the day he was supposed to come, they called us like, you know, uh, twenty minutes before they were supposed to be here, and they didn't. Uh, they never did show up. He never came. So you joined another church? So uh, yeah, through them because of what happened, and um, because it was so n- newsworthy, um, uh, another church um, in American Canyon, California, contacted us and said we were welcome there, and that they had connections to Kenya. Do so you feel at home now? Oh, absolutely, yes. Oh, that's very good. Well, what do you want the readers to get out of your book? how to get your book, Joe. Uh, you can get it at uh, Amazon.com, um, Borders.com, AuthorHouse.com, and you can also order on demand um, at the, if you go to the, um, like a Barnes & Noble bookstore, and it will be, you know, sent within like three or four days. Well, thank you for being on Author Talk, Joe. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. That was Joe Castor. He is the author of his book, The Obama Church Drama, My Story.